So Barb had a friend, Rose, who died, and Barb had a dream with Rose. And Rose came to Barb in her dream, and she said, Barb, Barb. She said, who is that? She says, it's Rose. But Rose, you died. She says, no, no, it's me. So, well, where are you? And Rose said, I'm in heaven. Really? What is it like? She says, well, I have really good news, and I have some bad news. What do you want to hear first? She said, tell me the good news first. So the good news is there's softball in heaven, and all our friends who have died are here, and we're all young, and we're playing softball, and it's springtime. It never rains. The game has never rained out. We can play all we want, and we never get tired. It's beyond my wildest dreams. And, and Barb said, wow, that's great. I can't wait. Well, what's the bad news? And Rose said, you're pitching on Tuesday. <laughs> well, you know, today the message is on Jesus, the Prince, the Messiah, the Prince. And I'm sure you've all broken news to people like that. I have good news <laughs> and I have bad news. What do you like to hear first? How many of you like to hear the good news first? How many of you like to hear the bad news first? Look at, look at that. You know, it was the same way in our first service. Except nobody wanted to hear the good news first in the first service. Everybody. At least we had a few good news people here in the second service. Well, in a way, Gabriel is telling Daniel good news and bad news, but he tells him the good news first. Gabriel says, I have really good news. And the good news is that there's going to come a period of time of 70 units of seven. And we talked about this last week, 490 years. And after this period of time, good things are going to happen. 70 weeks. So we're in Daniel chapter 9. If you could turn there. And he said, in 70 weeks, this is what's going to be accomplished. Two things you see on the screen. The overthrow of Israel's rebellion. And here in Daniel chapter 9, there's six different things. And we talked about them last week. But just to quickly review, Gabriel, straight from the throne room of God, comes to Daniel. And he tells Daniel what God told him to say. And he says, 70 weeks are to turn upon my people, upon the holy city. And then he says, to do what? To finish the transgression and to make an end of sin and to make reconciliation for iniquity. And if I could just summarize it this way, Gabriel says that in the 70 weeks of time, sin is going to be shut up or it's going to be captured, shut up. And then it's going to be, in a sense, thrown into a prison cell and sealed to shut it up, to seal it up. And then it's going to be covered, to cover it up. It's just to make reconciliation. And the word reconciliation, we mentioned that last week, means to what? To make an atonement, which is to cover. So this is the work of the gospel in Jesus Christ and his first coming. He came to capture sin, to seal it, to cover it with his precious blood shed on the cross. Jesus came to deal with the disgusting mass of the sins 
of his people Israel. Remember, this is what Daniel was praying. Lord, we have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. And Gabriel tells Daniel the good news. The Messiah is going to come and he's going to deal with sin. Not just for Israel, but yea, for the world. Jesus came to deal with sin. To shut it up in a prison house. To seal it up like in a vault. And to finish it off with the atoning blood. But he didn't stop there. He says, not only will this 490 years accomplish the end of sin, if you will, the rule of sin ended, but the rule of the Messiah will begin, the setting up of the Messiah's kingdom. And the last three points there of that verse 24, where he talks about to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision, and to anoint the most holy, which speaks of the anointing of the temple in the millennial kingdom, that this is talking about the setting up of the Messiah's kingdom. Good news. Jesus Christ is coming back as king of kings and Lord of lords. And the millennium, the millennium is the first stage of the everlasting, righteous, and eternal rule of God. And that's the good news. But then he goes even further. And that's what we're going to really look at today. Verse 25 of Daniel chapter 9. Let's read that verse together. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, he says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And the good news here is that Daniel miraculously points out the very timing, not just that the Messiah is going to come, but the timing of when he is going to come. Because he says, during the 70 weeks of period, times, 490 year period, and he then says there's seven weeks, and then 62 weeks, the Messiah is going to come by the end of the 69th week. Wow. Now, I'm not going to say a thousand percent sure I have it figured out, but I believe I have it figured out. And even if I don't have it figured out, you say, well, I'm not sure I agree with you, Pastor. Well, that's that's okay. But this much I know the timing of his coming is here. Because that's what this is all about. It's about a period of time and how the Messiah is going to come, because then he says after that 69th week, the Messiah is going to be cut off. Now, we're going to talk about that next week because. In this passage, that's often called the backbone of Bible prophecy, and it really is. You can understand this passage. The rest of prophecy will open up for you and unfold like a flower. But in this backbone of prophecy, here's how we're summarizing all four of these verses. So in verse 24, is a good outline of these four verses, and we're taking one verse at a time. So we talked about 24 last week, the accomplishment of the 70 weeks, what it brings forth. Today we're going to talk about the first 69 weeks in verse 25. Verse 26 tells us about the gap between the 69th and the 70th week. And in that gap, it says the Messiah will be cut off, crucified. So in other words, the 69th week had to end by the time Christ died on the cross. This is the timing. You say, well, this is too deep for me, Pastor, and I'm not interested in it. 
you should be interested in it because God told Gabriel to tell Daniel. <laughs> so, so I think we should be excited about it, right? So there's this gap. And then it says that the city and the sanctuary will be destroyed. So when did that happen? A.D. 70. So in other words, the Messiah had to come before A.D. 70. This is the timing. This is good to talk to our Jewish friends about. Say, do you know the backbone of Bible prophecy? Ask your Jewish friend that. They'll say, huh? What do you mean? Daniel chapter 9. Your prophet Daniel, Jewish prophet, he said the timing of the Messiah's coming. Because look at verse 25. says, the Messiah, the prince. And that he had to come before he was crucified. He had to be revealed. And then before Jerusalem and the sanctuary was destroyed in AD 70. That's the timing. And then there's this 70th week in verse 27. So we'll get there as well. But we're going to look at specifically at verse 25 today. And the elements of the 69 weeks concluding with the coming of the Messiah, the Prince. Are you ready? (laughs) If you need toothpicks, go like this. Put them here. Keep your eyes open. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Help us, Lord, as we look into this prophecy, also to make applications to our own lives. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you came once to make an end of sin, Lord, by your death on the cross. And thank you that you're coming again to establish your earthly kingdom and that righteousness and peace will fill the earth and your knowledge will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's four elements we want to consider this morning in the 69 weeks, concluding with the Messiah, the Prince. The first thing we want to look at is when does the clock start? Okay, so there's 70 weeks of time, 490-year period. When does the 490-year period start? Now, there are four different possibilities, and we're going to go back to the book of Ezra. So let's look at this in the book of Ezra. And there are four different distinct decrees in the book of Ezra. And the question for us this morning is, which decree starts the 70-week clock? You got it? So we want to find out, when does this 490-year period of time begin? Which of these decrees? So in Ezra chapter 1 is the first decree. And in Ezra chapter 1, and it says in verse 2, there was a proclamation made by King Cyrus, the first king of the Persian Empire after they defeated Babylon. And in verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 1, he says there was a proclamation. He put it in writing in verse 1. In verse 2, he says, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Build the house of the Lord, God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. Now, question. What is the decree to do? What is it to accomplish? To do what? According to those verses, two and three. What is Cyrus commissioning Jewish people who are returning to do? To rebuild what? The temple. Now go back to Daniel chapter 9. When does this 70-week period of time start? He says to build what? What are they going to build? To restore and to build what? Jerusalem, and specifically what parts of Jerusalem. It says at the end of verse 25, what's going to be built again? Where he says the 
the street shall be built again and the wall. Does it say anything about a temple? Did Cyrus's decree say anything about streets or walls or the overall city? So no. So was this the decree that starts the clock? No. That's my understanding of that. Okay. Let's go to the next decree. And after they started the temple, about it stopped. You can read the book of Ezra. They were stopped. They were hindered. And then God raised up the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. They came along and started preaching. The people started building back up again. And they were, they, were, they were kind of like being hindered. But then they went to the king Darius. And look what chapter 6, verse 1 says. What does it say in chapter 6? Ezra, we're in Ezra chapter 6, verse 1. What did, what did he make? He made a, another decree. What was his decree? Verse number seven, what was his decree? Let the house of God alone. Let him alone. Let the governor of the Jews, the elders of the Jews, build this house of God in its place. And verse number eight, what's his decree? Moreover, I make a decree what you shall do to the elders of these Jews for the building of this house of God. So what was the decree to do? Was it to build the streets? Was it to build a wall? Was it to build the overall city? It was, to not, it was not to build any of those things. It was to only build what? The house of God, the temple. Okay, look at this. So was it this decree? This is the second decree. King Darius is about 20 years after the first decree. And it was to restart the building of the temple. I say, no, the clock didn't start here either. So now Daniel's living in this, this 500-year periods of time. This is, this is going to be after Daniel's time, but it's not going to be at that point. There's a third decree. Look in chapter 7. And now we have another king, Artaxerxes. So we went from Cyrus to Darius to Artaxerxes. So there's three different kings making different decrees. This is now an elapse of time. This is to 458 B.C. So almost 60, 70 years has passed since the last decree. And now Ezra's going to go back. Now Zerubbabel went back at first, and he built the temple. He, he laid the foundation. They got it going. And then Ezra came in, and re, he really reestablished spiritual reforms and renewal, if you will, spiritual revival. And that's what is happening really here. So if you, you look in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, in the, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra is raised up here. And in verse 6, Ezra went up from Babylon. He was already scribe. He was really one of the first, if not the first scribe that we see in the New Testament. Where did the scribes come from? From Ezra. And here's the decree in verse 13. Look at verse 13. You see where it says, I make a decree that all day the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, which are minded to, of their own free will to go up to Jerusalem with thee. And what are they going to build? To offer willingly, verse 16. Now follow me. I'm not, we're not going to read all the verses, but you're going to look at the verse. Look at verse 16. What does it say? They were to offer willingly for what? The wall? The streets? To build that? No, to build what? It says the house of God. What does it say in verse 17? To offer them upon the altar of the house of God. Verse number 19. The vessels also that are given for the service of the house of God. Verse number 20. That whatsoever more shall be needed for the what? House of God. 
Verse number 21, I, even I, Artaxerxes, do make a decree for all the treasures which are beyond the river. Whatever Ezra the scribe, whatever he needs, whatever he requires to be done, do it. And it's all for verse 23 for what? What does it say? For what? You already know the answer. (laughs) The house of God, right? Okay, so does this fulfill the requirement of Daniel chapter 9 to start the 70-week clock? No, it's not about the, the, the walls. It's not about the streets. It's about the house of God. So when is this decree? Well, there is a fourth decree, and this is Artaxerxes giving a decree now to Nehemiah. And, of course, Nehemiah is all focused on the rebuilding of the walls. The amazing thing is this is now 444 B.C. This is about 160, 150 years or so after the walls have been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed in 586. So do the math, 586, almost 150 years later. The walls are still destroyed. If you go to Nehemiah, we were in Ezra. Just go to Nehemiah chapter 1. And what is Nehemiah here that breaks his heart in Nehemiah chapter 1? That the wall of Jerusalem is broken down. So even though they did all this construction on the temple, what was still broken down? The walls. And the walls were still all over the place, and the streets were still all filled with the debris and the rubble of those walls. So Nehemiah prayed and fasted, and he went before the king sad, and the king said, you're sad? What you, what's on your mind? Nehemiah shoots up a prayer to God, and he says, here it is. And if you look with me in chapter 2, verse 4, he prayed to the God of heaven when the king said, what's your request? And he said, king, if it please the king, I'm reading in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 5. He says, if I have found favor in your sight, that you would send me to Judah, to the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. Build the city itself. And if you look down in verse 17, when he finally gets there and he surveys the ruins on the streets and the walls consumed with fire, he says in chapter 2, 17, you see the distress we are in, how Jerusalem lies waits, the gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more reproach. So my question is, does this fulfill the requirement of Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, to start the 70-week clock? Didn't, was Nehemiah commissioned to go back and to rebuild the city and the walls and the streets? And if you look in Nehemiah chapter 8, when pretty much a lot of his work was accomplished, look at chapter 8, because I, I, I was trying to find this word street, and I found it in chapter number 8. It looks in, in verse 1, when they had repaired the water gate, all the people came and gathered together as one man where? Chapter 8, verse 1. Where'd they gather? In the street. And they had revival in the street with Ezra reading the word of God distinctly so everybody could understand the word of God. And in chapter number 8 also in verse 16, amazing, amazing that the nation actually kept the Feast of Tabernacles and they built their booths. Remember they were supposed to build booths and live in like a booth? They still do that in Brooklyn, right? They build their booths on their verandas and porches in Brooklyn and chapter 8 verse 16 it says so the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths everyone upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the what 
street of the water gate and the street of the gate of Ephraim. That's the only time now we see the streets being restored after the work of Nehemiah. So I believe that this starts the 70-week clock when Nehemiah is commissioned to go and rebuild the streets, the walls, the city of Jerusalem in around B.C., 444 B.C. Some say some books you'll read and I actually have up on, the, I think, on the chart screen somewhere. I have 445. So, you know, there's some differential on a year or there, a year here or there. Okay. So here's a little chart, and here's this is where I have this. So this could be 444. I put I have 445 here. So this is where we're at right now. This is the start of this 70 week period of time. It is divided into seven weeks, and then 62 weeks. Then there's a gap, and then there's the final week. Each week is a seven year period of time. It's a 70 units of seven or 70 units of seven years each. So the seven weeks is how many years? 49 years. Sorry, I'm out of the screen there. Is the 49 years. The 62 weeks is here, the 434 years. There's a gap. That's verse 26. We'll talk about that next week. And then there's the final week is the tribulation time, a seven-year period of time we call the tribulation. This is the 70 weeks of Daniel the backbone of Bible prophecy. Okay, since you don't have any questions, let's move. The application here, and I say to Christians, as we wonder where our country is headed in these days, God's in control. God rules in the kingdom of men. That's the theme of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men. So here were these different pagan kings, Artaxerxes and Darius and Cyrus and the other Artaxerxes. They were making decrees that actually helped Israel and finally helped Israel build their temple, build, rebuild their city and rebuild their walls. God was moving in the midst and in the hearts of these pagan kings. So God can turn the heart of the king wherever he wills. God is in control over the kingdoms of men. And he is working toward establishing his kingdom on earth. We talked about that last week. What's the world coming to? It's coming to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So don't lose heart. Don't be depressed about whatever's going on politically. Have our joy as we memorize today. Our joy isn't in who wins or loses elections, who comes and goes out of Albany or Gracie Mansion or Washington, D.C. Our joy is in the Lord and the Word of God. So the building begins. That's number two. We have the starting point. Then the building begins. So now go back to chapter 9. And you want to also go back to Nehemiah chapter 4 in just a moment. But now in Daniel chapter 9, as the building begins, and we've already talked about what is being built here, the wall, the city itself, and the streets. 
And he says in verse 25 again, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. So that commandment was given to Nehemiah by King Artaxerxes in Nehemiah chapter 2 around 444, 445 B.C. Until the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks. So let's just stop there. Seven weeks. 49 years. Now, why does he give a 49-year period of time as the first as the first uh, break of years there? I believe it's because that was where a lot of the rebuilding took place of the city walls, but it also extended to the end of the Old Testament prophetic period to Malachi finishing the Old Testament scripture. And then the next 62 weeks, we'll see, are the years of silence after the prophets. So this first 49 years brings us to the end of the Old Testament. Brings us to the end of Malachi's ministry. But what does this show, How, however? The building begins. Now, was it going to be easy when they rebuilt the walls and the streets? Was it going to be easy? So, well, God was leading them, so yeah, he was going to make everything smooth and piece of cake, right? What, what does it say? At the end of verse 25, if you could skip there, he says, the street shall be built again and the wall, even in what kind of times? Troublous times. Troublous times. So the application here, and I'm trying to make some applications so we just don't get bogged down in, in, in prophecy, and wonder, where's the application? Here's the application. We can make progress. And we can build. And we can go forward in troublous times. As Nehemiah did. And I want to go to Nehemiah chapter 4 for just a moment for this application. That troublous times speaks of deep distress. Maybe you're in deep distress. Maybe you're going through trouble. When you, when you get in trouble, you can get stuck. And you're like, you don't make any progress. But here's how to make progress, even when you're in trouble, even when people are intimidating you, mocking you, angry at you, deriding you, threatening you, and encouraging you to quit what you're doing. Don't quit. Go forward. Make progress. Serve God. Amen? We're in a tough time. This pandemic, it's not easy for anybody. It's not easy for the church. It's not easy for business, but it's not easy for a church. But let's go forward, church. Let's not say, let's not say, well, we have to wait for the pandemic to be over before we can make progress. Praise God. We, we're making progress. We're paying off our debts. Praise God. We're still going out with the gospel. We're still taking on missionaries. We're still doing our track ministry. We're still going to share the gospel and the homeless outreach. Let's go forward. It's not going to be easy. It's troublous times. Amen? Let's go forward. I love Nehemiah. It's a book about leadership. And in Nehemiah chapter 4 and in verse 1, it talks about the enemies of Nehemiah. And look what it says. They were, they were angry. And it says, what does it say in verse 1? It says they took great indignation and mocked the Jews. This is coming to America toward Christians. If it's not already here. Indignation means that Nehemiah violated. Nehemiah violated their sense of justice. 
Nehemiah was doing something morally wrong in their mind. And that's how a lot of people view Christianity today. You, you don't believe that a man could dress up like a woman? If that's what he desires to do, no, I don't believe that because the Bible says it's an abomination. We need to dust off Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5, which says that it is an abomination for a man, for a man to wear that which pertains to a woman. And I say, parents, teach your children for girls to dress like girls and boys to dress like boys and men to dress like men and women to dress like women. Amen. Or they're going to be morally indignant. That, that will be an unjust position in many people's minds. But this is what we believe is right in the Bible. See, see what I'm saying here? So they were morally indignant. And Nehemiah was violating their sense of justice. And they mocked him. But what did Nehemiah do in verse number four? What did he do? Look what it says. Nehemiah chapter four, verse four. What did he do? He what? He prayed. And as he prayed, what was the result in verse number six? What does it say? I love that. So built we the wall. They didn't stop. They didn't stop. They kept building. And, and when they were conspiring against him in verse eight, he says, nevertheless, we made our what? Prayer. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. And when people get discouraged around you, even in verse 10, it talks about the other believers getting discouraged. Sometimes we're around other Christians. They, they want to quit. That Christians want to quit. And don't let other Christians discourage you from quitting or going forward, making progress and serving God. Keep going forward. In troublous times, God will help you build and make progress. And so Nehemiah keeps going forward. And I love what he says in verse 14. Can we read that? He says, and I looked and rose up and said to the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people. And read it with me out loud. He says, be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. Flee to God in prayer. Focus on the Lord. Seek him first. Remember him. And then fight for one another. Fight for what's right. And I don't say physically fight, but spiritually fight to defend your God, his word. His son, Jesus Christ, your family, fight for your children to follow the Lord because the world wants to take them away. We need to fight. We need to pray because we're in a world that is going to fight us. That's what the world does. But don't let, it, don't let that stop you from going forward and, and building and, and battling. By the way, you know, you know we love Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, he had his newsletter was called The Sword and the trowel, and he got it from Nehemiah chapter 4, the sword meaning we, we're in a spiritual warfare, and the trowel, we need to be spiritually building, and we need to do both simultaneous. In other words, we can't just fight, 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 and not build. On the other hand, we just can't build and not realize we have to fight. So he called his paper the sword and the trowel for that balance of building and battling, God works through troubled times to help his people build. The third thing is the silent years. Go back to Daniel chapter 9. And 
So he's saying that these 70 weeks, 490 years are determined upon Israel. It's going to begin when the commandment goes forth to restore and to build Jerusalem. And then he says until the Messiah, the prince, will be the seven, seven weeks, 49 years period of time, which brings us to the end of the prophets. And then he says there's another 434 years or 62 weeks. Now, what is that period of time? That's mostly between Malachi and Matthew. So what's going on in that time? There's no prophets. Oh, there's no prophets. God isn't working. God isn't doing anything. Right? No. God is at work in the silent years. And that's the beauty of the prophet Daniel. Daniel lived in four, in a sense, in four places at once. He lived in his own culture. He lived in the times of Christ and, and foresaw the coming of Christ in his first coming. He saw the coming of Christ in his coming kingdom and even future to that, but he also saw the intertestamental time. And that's this period of time, much of it, this 62-week period of time, this 434 years, is between Malachi and Matthew. So God is working through those silent years. He's protecting his people. He's preparing the world to receive his only begotten son during this period. In what, to what, in what ways? Well, specifically, and we talked about this, and Daniel prophesied of Antiochus, who came out of the Greek Empire, which was during the intertestamental period of time. Remember Antiochus? He was, the, he was a type of an antichrist who fought against and wanted to destroy the people of God, to Israel. He wanted to contaminate them and get them to compromise their, their faith and get them to accept the Greek culture, but... Mattathias Maccabees took a stand without compromise. We, we talked about that in an earlier message. So that happened during this period of time. And then what else was going on in this period? There were three things. So if you read your Bible and you finish the book of Malachi and you say, oh, I'm going to read the Gospel of Matthew. You're going into another world when you open up Matthew, when you close Malachi and go into Matthew. Why? Because 400 years of time just flew by. And God was at work, even though there were no prophets. And he was preparing the world for Christ in three ways. And we see it in the New Testament. And this is what was going on in that period. And I'm just going to summarize it very quickly. Three things. One, synagogues were being built and were spreading around the world because the Jewish people had gone into captivity. Some of them remained there. And then Jewish people started moving other places and they started building synagogues. And synagogues were the perfect bridge between the Old Testament temple and the New Testament church. And it's the synagogues where the apostles went in their missionary journeys because you had a, you had a mixture of Jews and Gentiles there who believed at least in the Old Testament scripture. So synagogues were being built. What else was being built? Well, after the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire came to power. And what did they build? They built roads. Why did they build roads? So their military could travel and conquer more land. So God allowed them to build roads so that when Jesus came and the apostles wanted to go into all the world, there would be roads for them to carry the gospel with. And not only that, but Alexander conquered the world militarily, but also culturally, and that spread what? The Greek language. And so a world of, of Babel, Babel languages, of confused languages, in a sense, was 
brought together in a common language, a a language that the world could understand. And the whole New Testament was written in the most well-known language of the world at its time, the Greek language. So those are the three things happening. God was at work. So application for us, we might say this has been a long time between Jesus coming first and coming again. This has been a long time of quiet without prophets. We don't have New Testament prophets any longer. Once the New Testament was complete, the apostles died off. We don't believe in a continuation of apostles and prophets. We have the Bible. God speaks to us. But even though we don't have prophets and apostles living amongst us, writing more books of the Bible, God is at work. Amen. He's at work in the silent years. He's always at work. And he's preparing the world for the coming of Jesus Christ again the next time. Just as there were silent years before his first coming. In a sense, there's silent years before his second coming. Let's be ready. God's put us in a great place to serve him in these last days. So there's a Roman road. There's the Greek language. Synagogues, roads, and the Greek language. So here we are. So we've talked about the starting point. We've talked about the first seven weeks, the end of the prophets. We've talked about the next 434 years, the times between the Testament. And now let's talk about the conclusion of the 62nd week or the conclusion of the 69th week. This right here. Let's talk about this. Now, when did that happen? That's the question. When did, what was the event of the ending of the 69th week? That's a good question, right? Because, again, look what Daniel says here. He says, know, therefore, and understand. So let's try to know and understand. That from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince. That's the focus of everything here. Who's coming? The Messiah. The anointed one. The Prince, the ruler, the king of the earth. He's coming. And we want to be ready for him. So there will be seven weeks. 49 years. There will be 62 weeks. And at the end of that 62nd week. The Messiah, the Prince, will be revealed. What was the event that revealed the Messiah, the Prince? Now, let's just think about this term and name. What a beautiful name. So my understanding, again, on this passage is that the 69th week ends with the revealing of this anointed ruler. And who is that? It is none other than who? Jesus Christ. And he is called the Messiah. What does Messiah mean? It simply means the anointed one. He is the anointed one. Now, what were the three offices of the Old Testament to which when one entered into that office, they were anointed? Prophets were anointed. Jesus Christ is the prophet. A prophet speaks with divine authority. Thus saith the Lord. He convicts and he commands with his word. A prophet. Jesus Christ is the prophet. Listen to him. Was it the transfiguration that ended the 69th week when Jesus Christ shone as the sun? 
And he said, this is my son. Hear him. He's the anointed prophet. Could be. Was it his birth when the angels sang? Was it his baptism again when God spoke and the Holy Spirit came down and anointed him? But he's the priest. The priest was anointed, right? The priest was anointed. The idea of set apart for ministry. A priest offers sacrifices and supplications representing the people of God in the very presence of God. A priest represents the people of God in the presence of God. And Jesus Christ is our great high priest. This is why we don't need a pope. A pope is a high priest. We don't need another high priest other than who? We have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. And Jesus Christ is the one who ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus Christ is the one who offered himself as the one and only sacrifice for our sins once and for all time. He died. He shed his blood as the Lamb of God. And so he has the divine authority set apart as our high priest to be our mediator. There is One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's our anointed prophet, the anointed priest in whom we rest in his prayers. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And he's our anointed king we are to rejoice in. He's our king. He has divine authority to rule and reign. Now, I want to go to this scripture I want to go to Psalm 45, please. Are you tired? You got a few more minutes? Going anywhere? Okay. This time just goes so fast, but I, I, I do want to look at this important scripture, Psalm 45. This psalm is quoted in the book of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 8. And God in this psalm calls his son God, the Father calls the Son God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 says, But unto the Son, he says, that is God's, the Father says, Thy throne, O God, is forever. The Father calls the Son God. That's what it says in Hebrews 1, 8. Now here's the psalm where he says it. So let's look at it. In verse number 5 of Psalm 45, he says, Thine hours are sharp in the heart of a king's enemies, whereby the, the people fall under thee. And read verse 6. It says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now, who is that God whose throne is forever? Who, who, Of whom does he speak? Let's keep reading. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Who's the king with the scepter? Verse 7. Thou lovest righteousness. Who loves righteousness? Who hates wickedness and hateth wickedness? Therefore, God... Thy God, this one who is God, who is forever, who has a scepter, who loves righteousness, hates wickedness, has a God. He he has a God. It says, because it says God, therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So this one who is on the throne, who has the scepter, who loves righteousness and hates iniquity, who has been anointed, is Jesus Christ, the King, the Anointed One. 
Amen? This, and this is why we say that the Father calls the Son God. Because when God speaks in the Old Testament, or when the Bible speaks in the Old Testament, God speaks. Like, God says it, he said it. Somebody wrote it, and if it's written in the Old Testament, it's what? The Word of God. God said it. And so God calls, God the Father calls his Son God. That's amazing. You might want to ask your Jewish friends about this, too. You know, ask them, do you know of the Old Testament scripture that speaks of the Messiah being God? By the way, my battery's about to die. I better get plugged in here. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Sometimes this thing is, if it's just out like a little bit, Okay, I think I'm okay now. So, you know, this is a good question for a Jewish person in your witness. If you have a Jewish friend, ask them, do you know the Old Testament scripture that teaches that the Messiah is God? Because they don't, they don't believe that, right? They believe that God is only the Father. But here's a verse that says that the Messiah is God. It's powerful. Okay, so now as we close, we'll get into the close now. Go to Luke chapter 19. And my understanding would be that this 69th week ends on the day of the triumphal entry. I believe that's the best end date for the 69th week of what Daniel is talking about. Why? Well, first of all, the triumphal entry is prophesied in the book of Zechariah. It's an important event prophesied by the prophet Zechariah. Second of all, and we read the scripture, so we're not going to read the whole of it again. But when the people are praising the Lord and they and the Jewish people were saying, tell these people not to praise you. He said, if they don't praise me at this moment, what will cry out to praise me? Even the stones. This was an important moment that Jesus Christ received praise. How come? I believe because he's fulfilling Daniel chapter nine. And. He's called the Messiah, the prince, the king, the ruler is the idea there of the prince, the ruler, the ruling king, the Messiah who's coming to to establish his kingdom. So what do they say as Jesus enters into Jerusalem? Verse 38, blessed be the king. And then Daniel also talks about in the next verse, the destruction of the temple, and the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus prophesies it in this passage of Scripture. In verse number 44, he says, they will, lay the, they will lay Jerusalem down to the ground and will not leave one stone upon another because you... Watch now. What didn't they know? You knew not the time of your visitation. Where would they have known the time of their visitation? How did Hannah, remember, and not Hannah, Anna and Simeon, remember them earlier in the book of Luke? Simeon was told by the Lord he would not die until he saw the Messiah. So the timing of the Messiah was known, and it was being made known to even others, but it was known, known, made known by uh, Daniel. Because remember, again, now notice this, you knew not... The time of your visitation. Let me go back to Dan chapter 9. He says, know therefore and understand. Know and understand the time of your visitation. I believe Jesus is referring to Daniel chapter 9. 
verse 25. But then the kicker is in verse 42. When Jesus beheld the city and he weeps over it, what does he say in verse 42? Could you read that with me out loud? It says, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. He said, if you had known, could they have known? Yes, if they knew the scripture. And then he says, at least in this thy day, this day of the triumphal entry, which was prophesied by Zechariah, I believe is the day that Daniel foretells as the very end date, the last day of the 69th week, because after that, he's going to be crucified. So now, if do you have the outline? Go to the back of the outline, and then we'll be done. So I want to leave you with confusion. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm going to make it very simple. I'll try. So this is a chart of 69 weeks, Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Now, on the left-hand side of the chart, you see where it says 69 weeks times 7 years. How many years we're we talking about? 483 years. But here's the important thing on this chart. It's not just based upon years, but he goes to the day. Because, again, Jesus said, if you had known even in this thy day. So th- this, this chart, it's, and I got this from the Walvoord Commentary. And he uh, adapted this from a man named Harold Hofner there. So on the left-hand side, 483 years. But here's the important thing. A year for prophetic purposes is 360 days. So if you take 483 years and multiply it by 360 days, based on Revelation, which talks about three and a half years, Remember, three and a half years in Revelation, it's 1,260 days, which is a 30-day month. Each, each month in a prophetic year is 30 days, which makes 360-day year in a prophetic year. So it's that many days, 173,880 days. That's what we're talking about. That's the 69 years, that many days. So now on the other side, he figures that so how to get to that number of days, not, not forcing things, but he has to use a Roman calendar. So that's where you, you say, what's going on here? The left is the prophetic calendar based on a 360-day year. The right side is a Roman calendar based on 365-day years with leap years and other than days added in because of the time periods. So we're starting at 444 B.C., And let's just say Jesus died in 33 A.D. That's 477 years, not 483, but 477. But then you have to take away the one year between B.C. and A.D. And then that leads you to 476 years. But then multiply it by the 365 days. Right. It gives you to that many days, but it's still not one. It's not the same amount of days. But then you add the number of days between, you know, to to get to the time of the actual decree to Nehemiah, you add the days for the leap years. Okay, you got to add the leap year days, you know. And But what, what he came out with was the exact same number of days based on the Roman calendar and the prophetic calendar, 173,880 days. Now, I'm not, a thousand, I'm not saying a thousand percent sure this is exactly the way it all works out. I, I can't say that. 
But I can say that it can work out, possibly. And this is a very good, this is a very good way to look at it. And I, I, I actually believe in it. That's why I'm sharing it with you. But I do believe, whether this is exactly right in every detail, that the triumphal entry is the day that completes the 69 weeks of time. Because then after this, the Messiah is going to be crucified. The word of God is very specific. The word of God is true. The word of God is accurate. Is Jesus Christ, and here's the question as we finish. Is he your anointed king? Jesus Christ, he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the prince, the king and ruler. Is he your prophet? That you listen to him and obey. Is he your priest who is your mediator? The one who offered himself as a sacrifice and who lives to pray for you. Do you pray and talk to Jesus Christ, the anointed Messiah, your anointed high priest, your anointed king who's coming again? Let us surrender ourselves fresh and anew to our Messiah, the prince, because that's the crown he wore for you. So let us live for him. Let's stand together as we pray. Let's stand together as we pray. And even if you're at home, if you could stand with us and just pray, look to the Lord. Let me ask you as you pray to ask the Lord to give you that peace. Yea, the scripture memory verse today, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Ask the Lord to give you, to give us, yea, that fullness of joy. Have you ever felt the power of the Holy Spirit in your soul saying to you, go in peace? My peace I leave with you. Have you ever felt that peace that passes understanding because you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If not, Call upon the Lord today and ask him to save you. He will take your sins away. And he will cover your sins with his precious blood and forgive you of his sins and give you his righteousness. And you will be ready for his return. Are you sure you're saved? The Apostle Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation. To them which are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to feel the condemnation of sin. The guilt of sin. You can be free. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Oh yes Lord. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus. Thank you that you put our sins In a vault, you sealed them up, you covered them with your blood, and you hurled them into the depths of the sea to remember them no more. Thank you, Lord, that you tell us today even, go in peace. Thank you, Lord, that we have your grace and your help and your strength. Thank you, Lord, we have your promises. You came once and you're coming again. You're our Messiah. You're the Prince. We love you and we praise you because you have so loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.